We are going through the book of Romans. The series is called Nail It Down, which is a look back to the Reformation 501 years ago. But we're also learning how to nail down some fundamentals of our faith through this very profound book, the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. Um, and let me begin by giving you uh, the, the main idea, the main thing that we're going to look at today is those who receive God's grace as a free gift have found God. Those who receive God's grace as a free gift have found God. And those who labor to earn God's favor by their own merit are lost, are lost. Now, when I think of the word free gift, when I think of the word free, uh, I have something amazing to share with you. I told you a few weeks ago my daughter got into a fender bender, and so the van is in the shop. We found out this week that the van's going to be in the shop all week long. So I finally took the insurance company up on their offer of getting us a rental car. Went to Enterprise. They said they had no cars. Come back at 5. Went back to Enterprise at 5 o'clock. They said we still don't have any cars that are within what the insurance company has approved, but we can give you a complimentary upgrade. I said, deal. Complimentary upgrade sounds good to me. Then they walked me out to the parking lot and showed me this. This is the car they had. <laughs> it is a brand new 2019 Dodge Charger. They were peeling, meaning they bought it that day. They were peeling the stickers off of it. Some of the stickers were still on it when I got inside. And the insurance rep was talking me through it. And she's like, you know these go fast, right? And I was like, oh, yes. She's like, do you want any additional coverage? I said, no, the insurance company is covering it all. I said, just give me the keys. So this is mine all week long. Isn't that amazing? Uh, now, here's what I want to share with you. This, is, this car is costing me nothing. Okay, if someone were to come up to me and say, how much did that run you? I would say, this many, this many. No dollars. What do you mean? Right, it's free. What do you mean? And I'd have to explain to them that someone else paid to buy that car, and someone else is paying for me to borrow that car. It cost me this many. Now listen, when you get into heaven, if you get into heaven, if someone walks up to you and says, boy, how many good deeds did you have to do to get in here? Your only answer can be this many, this many. Listen, I want you to understand the main thing before we get into a lot of verses here. If you think you're going to end up in heaven because you did this many things that impress God, you're not going to get into heaven. If you think you're going to get into heaven because you did this many things to impress God, then you're getting in. Because getting into heaven is a free gift. The only way you get to heaven is when someone hands you something you didn't pay for. That's called grace. Let's pray and then we'll see in the Bible how this applies to our lives. Father, what an amazing promise you have made that Anyone who is striving and working and, and trying to earn by merit, your favor will fail. But anyone who stretches out unholy hands and asks the Creator for a free gift of grace, that person will be received forever. Show us how we can know. Show us how we can know that we are your people through grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you in Romans 10? Are you in Romans 10, verse 17? It's really hard in this section for me to like cut up the, the chunks to try and figure out how much to preach on. And I don't even know if I did a good job. We're just jumping in in Romans 10, 17, continuing the thought from last week. Uh, and in Romans 10, 17, here's what it says. So faith comes from hearing and hearing 
through the word of Christ. That was our last thought last week, that if you're a person of faith, you have heard the truth of Christ, and you've heard it through the authorized message of the Bible. That's where faith comes from. Um, And then it goes on to say this, but I ask, have they not heard? Now, just to give you the context here, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a lot of his Jewish brethren who are basically saying, what's wrong with the Old Testament? Stop telling us about this Jesus and keep telling us about Moses. Keep telling us about the prophets. Keep telling us about Abraham. This Jesus is Bush League. This Jesus is nothing compared to the heroes of the faith we already have. Paul is now, he's trying to, in the Old Testament show, look, all of these heroes of the faith looked ahead to the culmination of God, which is the Messiah. Therefore, he's trying to show them, if you're missing the Messiah, you're missing everything the Old Testament was about. And so that's the idea. So it says here, but I ask, have they not heard? That means the Jewish people hearing about the Messiah. Have they not heard? Indeed they have. For, and now he quotes Psalm 19.4, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Um, The first thing we can pull from these verses is this. Number one, jot this down. Are you listening? Are you listening? The first question is, have they not heard? And it says, indeed they have. Have you not heard? And it says, indeed they have. So why has Israel not received the Messiah? Why did Israel not get saved as a nation? Paul's like, you might think, well, maybe they didn't hear about it. And Paul's like, wrong. They heard. They, all of them heard, and they still didn't believe. Now, it's interesting that he quotes Psalm 19 here. And the reason is this. Psalm 19, in its original form, was a testimony of the voice of creation. So let's deal with that first. Uh, Let me read to you from Psalm 19, and here's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. It's a funny thought. So where's the sky? Everyone point to where the sky is. It's up there, And, and it's proclaiming the handiwork of God. What does that mean? The sky is talking It's testifying. It says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The idea is this, creation is one way God speaks to us of his existence. Nature is one way we learn knowledge about God. Um, Theologians have called nature and creation the little book, the little book, and the Bible is the big book, meaning the little book can teach you certain things about God. Just by looking at creation, by looking up into the sky and seeing the sun that keeps our planet warm. And then it says, night by night. How does the night sky teach us knowledge? Well, check this out. Here's what you see in the night sky. It's amazing that we have the Hubble Space Telescope now. These are, these are two galaxies that are colliding. And we now can look through the farthest reaches of space and learn 
knowledge about, about what? Well, yes, about science, but also about a creator. Uh, we know that the universe had a beginning by looking up into the night sky. We know that the beginning had to have a cause because everything that begins to exist has a cause. And the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And the cause has to have certain qualifications like immense power. Power greater than the sum of all power that it controlled. Immense knowledge. More intelligence than the universe contains because it was a smart bomb when it went off. It immediately began functioning according to law and order that it couldn't account for itself. And there also had to be a will. A will. Because if the universe was ready to get born at some point in eternity past and it just didn't, what could hold it back, right? It's a will. God meets the criteria for a beginning. He has a mind, he has power, and he has a will. And therefore, when we look up into space, we see the product of a creator. Here's the next picture, one of Hubble's latest amazing pictures of a brilliant, beautiful galaxy um, filled with ancient stars. And I love this next one. NASA says that this is a uh, galaxy that was hit by a drive-by, a hit-and-run from another galaxy. So we see a galaxy just sifts through, destroys this one, and moves on. We're learning so much by looking up at the heavens, and what we see is order, power, mind, and wisdom. Nature shows us that. Now, Psalm 19 originally was meant to show us, uh, first of all, that nature is enough to convince you there is a God, he's powerful, he's wise. There is a God, he's powerful, and he's wise. You can get that by watching a beautiful sunset over a pristine lake. But in Psalm 19, it goes on to say this in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you see God's law is also speaking? The law of God is also speaking. And then Psalm 19 ends by saying this, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. So it begins with nature and then it goes to the law of God. And by the end of the Psalm, I want my voice to testify of God as well. Do you see how beautiful that is? So Paul draws from that psalm, but he uses it in a new way. He says here in Romans chapter 10, verse 18, I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, what that means in the New Testament is the gospel has gone out to the ends of the earth. Just as in the Old Testament, nature was proclaiming to everyone the glory of God, so in the new, the messengers of the gospel have practically gone out as much as the sun has gone out. We've covered the earth. Um, it says in uh, Colossians 1.6, Paul said, same author, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So we know that nature reveals that there is a powerful creator, uh, but we also know that the gospel is now God's manifold witness to the world. Now when it comes to nature, there are many people who are still wrestling at that level. Is there a God? Is there a God who I can know? And even though their voice is going out, the voice of nature is going out to everyone, we can suppress that voice. We can ignore that voice. We can deflect that voice. We can mock that voice. Uh, we could even fake like we believe that voice when deep in our hearts we really don't. Let me ask you this question. Are you listening? Are you listening? Uh, you can write this down. Are you listening to the voice of nature? Are you listening to the voice of nature? 
are, are you hearing there is a God? There is a creator. There must be. The universe could not have pulled itself out of a magic hat. Okay, that's worse than magic. To think nothing plus nothing equals everything is worse than magic. There must be a God. There must be a creator. We know that by the science. There has to be some cause with mind, will, uh, and, and mighty power to bring this universe into being and to order it rapidly, immediately. We know that. Are, are you listening to the voice of creation? Uh, are you hearing what nature is telling you? Jot this down. Are you listening to the Word of God? Are you listening to the Word of God? In Psalm 19, it goes on to say, the law of the Lord. So the Word of the Lord, there is a voice in the Bible that is God's voice. And it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, reviving the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Do you believe that this book is divine? Do you believe that the law of the Lord is perfect and that God is speaking to you through his word? Are you listening to the word of God? Are you listening? Is your heart open to the Bible? Do you understand that it's through the Bible that we know the specifics about God? Now, this is what we refer to as special revelation. General revelation is just creation telling us there's an amazing, wise God. But you can't learn about his plan or his character or his activities in, in history through nature. Uh, in order to learn the specifics about God, you have to look to the Word of God. Here's where we find his moral law. Here's where we find the destiny of, uh, that he has planned for us. Here's where you find the origin and creation. It's in his Word. So do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Just like nature, we can respond to the Word of God by suppressing it, or ignoring it, or deflecting it, or mocking it, or we can fake like we hear it, but the bottom line is God wants to know, are you listening to it? Do you agree that this book has authority from heaven over your soul and that your eternity will be decided by what is found within its pages? Hey, are you listening? Are you listening? Because you're hearing from God, but are you listening? Paul is saying the Israelites heard it all, but they just weren't listening. They wouldn't hear it. Number one, are you listening to the voice of nature, to the word of God? Number two, jot this down, have you found God? Have you found God? It says in verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, so now he's, he's quoting Moses. So Psalm 19 is a Psalm of David. So do you see what Paul's doing here? David said this. Now he's like, Moses said this. He's using all their heroes. Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. This is from Deuteronomy 32, 21, the song of Moses. So Moses wrote a song, and this is the song of Moses. And it testifies to when God's people, uh, you know, they had, uh, you remember this story in the wilderness, right? They built a dwelling place for God, and God wanted to come near and be with them. Do you remember what that was called? What was the original dwelling place for God in the wilderness called? Do you remember? Yeah, right. My, when my son was younger, I quizzed him, and I was like, hey, what's that tent that the Israelites built in the wilderness called? And he goes, I don't know, the shackalack? 
to shackalack, and we're like, try again. He's like, tabernacle, yes, good, you're one for two. <laughs> it's not the shackalack. But the tabernacle was built as a place where God could dwell in the, in the presence of his people, but they were going to the promised land. This song that is quoted here by Paul looked ahead. It looked ahead as prophetic to an age when the Israelites would be prosperous and they would forget their God, and they would choose idols instead of their God. And, and Moses is telling them what would happen. And here's what he said. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So God planned to shame his people by welcoming in Gentile people so, so that his true people realized what they were missing out on. The idea is this. Paul's like, look, Moses said this would happen. Okay, all the Gentiles in the New Testament are getting saved while the Jews are crossing their arms and refusing to re receive Jesus. And Paul's point is this, that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament warned you this would happen. You reject the Messiah, I'll make you jealous using people who are not even my people to show you my love. Look, the Old Testament is coming true. Have you, have you found God? So if the Old Testament promised that the Gentiles would be welcomed into the family of faith and the household of God, the New Testament is simply bringing that to light. There's a few things you have to understand about how God acted in history. Uh, you have to understand that God did set aside Israel as a special chosen nation. Nationally, he called them out of Egypt. He delivered them from physical slavery. But the reason he did that was to show you and me how to get into God's spiritual kingdom. We have to be set free from the bondage of spiritual slavery. We have to be led through the Red Sea of death. We had to have to be welcomed into the land of promise. What God did to Israel nationally, he must do to you spiritually. Israel got all fixed on the national part. We're, we're God's people nationally, therefore we're his only people. No, that was a portrait of what God is willing to do for anyone, any nation, tribe, and tongue. So it says here, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah, now he's quoting Isaiah. David, Moses, Isaiah. Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So he's quoting here Isaiah 65 and starts talking about those people who have, who have found God, who have found God. And let me put Ephesians 2.12 up on the screen. It says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and listen, without God in the world. We must understand where we start with God when we are born. When we are born, we are without God. Listen, whether you were raised in a Christian home or not, you were born without God. You did not know him personally. Maybe you were around people who knew him, but you were born without a knowledge of God. Something needs to change in your life in a moment in time to correct that. You, you are without God. You have lost God, and that needs to be fixed. The title of this sermon is Lost or Found. And it says here, I, God says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. And in Ephesians 2.12, it says, remember, you were without God in the world. If you think that your starting point with God is he's in your life and you've known him forever, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches you've lost God and something needs to change to fix that. 
We've lost a lot of things in our lives, right? Um, in, uh, uh, my daughter lost her phone in the Pacific, and it's still lost. <laughs> it's gone. Some fish is, driving, is swimming around with an iPhone. I don't know, somewhere out there. It's just gone. We've lost it, right? Um, when, when, we were, when our kids were younger, we lost our son at the zoo. Is there any worse place to lose a child than when you're walking past the lion enclosure and you turn around and your son is gone and you've lost him? And thankfully, we found him pretty quickly. But when you lose something, you know that feeling when you lose something? Where is it? Where is it? And if it's something valuable, where is it? Where is it? And what if it's God? What if it's God that you have lost? Listen, what if your whole life, God has been lost? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Have you found God? Have you found God? Have you found him? And it's even worse to think he's there when he's not. Maybe you've lost God. Have you found him? Jot this down. Understand that our starting point is we were not God's people. When you're born, you are not God's people. Something has to change to bring you into his family. We are not God's people at the beginning. We don't belong to him. He's not our father in the sense that we're his spiritual children. He made us, but we don't know him yet. And Israel is meant to show us what it's like to refuse the God who loves us. Here's a picture of Jesus found this painting earlier this week, but Jesus looking up over at the city before he comes in, and, uh, and it says Jesus wept over Jerusalem, right? This is, this is the creator looking upon his people, and he's rejected. He's outside. He, they will welcome him, and then they will crucify him. And here's the next picture of what they did to him. They, they rejected him, and, and therefore God was pushed away. And, and something had to change to bring people back to God. Something has to change to bring you back to God. But understand that you, your starting point is you don't belong to God. In Ephesians 2.19, though, it talks about how this can change. Ephesians 2.19 says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You could become a member of the household of God. In 1 Peter 2.10, it says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in Philippians 3.20, it says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the point. If you want to belong to God, if you want to know God, if you want to find God and be found by Him, you have to know Jesus Christ. Jot this down. God revealed Himself in Christ. God revealed Himself in in Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. It's through his son that we know about God now. Have you found God? Have you found God's son? Have you found him? Have you found him? Paul is talking here about how we find God in Christ Jesus. I've been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. God revealed himself in the gospel. When my son was younger, he asked a question. I said, uh, he said this. He said, Dad, when will God get out of Jesus? Dad, when will God get out of Jesus? The answer is never. They've been eternally one. Jesus is one of a kind. He is the divine, sinless Son of God. Have you found God in his Son, Jesus Christ, 
Listen to what John 14, 8 to 9 says. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, this is again where you need to make a decision about Jesus. Because if I got up here and said, hey, whoever's seen me has seen God, I think our congregation would shrink. All right? Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen God. He claimed to be God the Son. So you can't believe in a Jesus that's less than 100% God. I want you to understand that what makes the Christian faith different from all other faiths is not us uh, or, or how we behave. What makes us different is our founder. Our founder. I like what Matt Smethurst said. Matt Smethurst said this, Moralism divides the world into bad people and good people. The gospel divides the world into bad people and Jesus. You see that? We're no different than everyone else. Jesus is different from everyone else. What makes our faith different and unique and special and eternal is not the followers of Christ, but it's our founder. He's one of a kind. He's perfect. And because we're related to him, that makes us different. He's different. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has revealed himself perfectly in Christ? We were not God's people, but God revealed himself. We found God in Christ. Jot this down, but many stubbornly refused to believe. Many stubbornly refused to believe. It says in verse 21, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long. He's quoting now Isaiah 65, 2. So the principle is God would be found by rebellious people who refuse to follow his ways, but, in, but it says of Israel, all day long they refuse. And so God will not be found by those who stubbornly refuse to believe. I've got a picture of a kid here who's not listening. Maybe sometimes your children don't listen. Maybe as a parent, you know what it feels like when your kids are like, la, 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 la. Right? And, and God is saying, that's how I feel toward Israel. All day long, I hold out my hands. All day long. All day long. Like this. To a stubborn and disobedient people. And, and let me just say, maybe this is what God's saying to you today. This is God. And put that picture up there again. And this is you. This is God. Maybe you've been raised in the church and you know better than the way you're living right now. Maybe, maybe it's been clear to you for a long time what is offered to you. And maybe this is God all day long. This is God. This is God. And that's you. And if that's you, it's time to repent. It's time to stop with the stubborn refusal of what you have been taught from a young age. It's time to stop living in love with the world. It's time to stop playing games with the Creator. And, and this is God, and that is you. And maybe God brought you here to hear this today. Many are stubbornly refusing to believe. All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Have you found God? Have you found God? It goes on in chapter 11, verse 1 to say, I asked then, has God rejected His people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, Paul says, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. 
the idea there is that God had a special knowledge of people in advance. This is God's special knowledge. God had a special knowledge of people in advance, people who he would call into his kingdom and know and love by faith forever. God had a special knowledge of these people. And the idea there is that not all Israel is Israel. There were people within the nation who would have a saving knowledge of Christ. And there are people within Israel who would not. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? So now we're looking at Elijah. Isaiah, David, Moses, Abraham, Elijah. How he appeals to God against, against Israel. Elijah said this in uh, 1 Kings 19.10 and 14 and 18. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. The idea here is that while many stubbornly refuse to believe, as they did in Elijah's day, God has a remnant chosen by grace. Paul's saying, look, Israelites, you're folding your arms and saying, we like Moses better get this Jesus out of here. Listen, you're doing exactly what your forefathers did. You are rejecting the truth of God. And just like God judged them and rejected them, so God will judge you and reject you also. Many stubbornly refuse to believe. In the Old Testament, they believed often in the wrong God. Baal was a wrong God. In the New Testament, they got rid of all the idolatry, but they were worshiping the right God in the wrong way through rules and laws and, and principles. So jot this down. Here's the last question from the text. Are you relying on grace or works? Are you listening to the voice of nature and the word of God? Have you found God? You weren't his people. He revealed himself in Christ and don't stubbornly refuse to believe. Number three, are you relying on grace or works? Grace or works. It says in chapter 11, verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. For if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. This answers the question, who are the people of God? Who are the people of God? And the answer is those who have received grace from God. In the New Testament, the Pharisees were big on rules, big on laws, big on ceremonies. They had tremendous religious effort, but they were trying to earn God's favor with their works, and it wasn't working because works don't work. Hey, listen, are you relying on grace or works? The Jews believed that they were of the bloodline of Abraham, and that was enough. And they were the best of the bloodline, the best behaved of the bloodline, and that's why God would receive them, and they were wrong. It's not because of your merit that God will receive you. It's because of his grace, because of his grace. Hey, listen, what matters most on Judgment Day is what you have done with God's Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you're standing on your own merit, your own religious effort, that will fall out from under you and you'll fall away from God forever. But if you're standing on the rock, the firm foundation of what Christ did at the cross, then God will receive you forever. Are you relying on grace or works? Jot this down. Works are a dead end. Works are a dead end. Now this can mean works, meaning an effort to please a false God. Those works are a dead end. Or religious effort to try and please the true God. That's a dead end as well. Either way, works are a dead end. Works will not bring you to God. It says in Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds, listen, are like a polluted garment. A polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf 
and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Yesterday on that uh, brand new 2019 Dodge Charger, did I mention that I get to drive around all week long? Uh, a, a, a bird in the tree was really excited we brought that home for him, and he thought, well, <laughs> I'll check. And so there was quite a mess on top of the car, and I had to go out there with a rag and, and wipe it all off. And, you know, if you hold that up with, you know, bird droppings on it, the Bible says, behold, all of your best efforts in this life. We're supposed to be like, gross, ew, yuck. Like, I wanted to get that out of my hand as fast as I could. And if you're going to appear on Judgment Day and be like, behold, the angels are going to be like, ew, gross, yuck. Get that out of here. Do you see? Do you see what the Bible's saying? I went to my father's house last week because I had to figure out why my uh, ex-terror was overheating. And as we were working on it, my dad's neighbor came down. He's a Muslim man. Uh, and retired guy, used to be an accountant. This guy came down, and he returned something my dad had loaned to him. And so I thought, oh, I wonder who this guy is. So I got to know him. His name is Jamal. And I always, I always look, look for opportunities to have great spiritual conversations. And so Jamal wanted to meet me, and I asked him about his background, his family and everything. And uh, we got to know each other. And he, he said, yeah, I'm finishing up Ramadan, so, you know, I'm kind of hungry. And so I asked him, oh, tell me more about that. And listen, whenever you have the chance to have a, a spiritual conversation, um, I immediately say to myself, ask questions and be really loving, right? Ask questions, because we're tempted to say things and to say them truthfully and harshly, right? So I'm like, I'm going to get to know this guy. So I asked him questions, found out about his background, his family, and asked him about Ramadan. He taught me something I didn't know. He, he said, you know, one of the points of Ramadan is we're supposed to go hungry so that we know what it's like to be homeless or poor, and, and, then, that, and then we give. We, we're supposed to give more during that season to help the needy. And I said, wow, well, that's really great. I didn't know that. That's really good. And that was a big deal to him. That's one of the things that he was focusing on as well. And as we continued to talk, I said, you know, I love having spiritual conversations. I said, can I ask you a question? You've been um, a Muslim for a long time. You've been doing Ramadan for a long time, praying. I said, do you know if God is going to receive you into heaven? Do you know? Do you, have, do you have reassurance after all of this religious effort that you'll be received? And he said, I hope so. I hope so. I said, but you know, but do you know? And the truth is, in, in the um, Islamic faith, you, you can't know. You can't have confidence that Allah will receive you. Uh, what they believe is that Allah is free to reject the most righteous person. He is free to do that just because he wants to. And he is free to welcome the most sinful person just because he wants to. Now, that's their faith. And so I asked him, do, do you know that, that you are acceptable to Allah? He said, I hope so. I hope so. Um, and then he said, you're a Christian. I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. So I decided to, you know, he taught me about his faith, so I decided to share my faith with him. And I said, yeah, I, I was raised in a Christian church, but, you know, really it was all about religious effort. And then finally when I was in college, I told him I was in a metal band and I had long hair, you know, and I said I was living a bad way. I said, but... It, you know, I, I saw in the Bible that it's not about my religious effort. I could never do enough to please God. And, and that's what I learned about Jesus. And he said, oh, Jesus, we believe he's virgin born. I said, I know. But listen, Jesus came into the world to save sinners because we can't save ourselves. And then I quoted a verse to him. We'll put this verse up on the screen. I said, you know, Jamal, in Ephesians 2.8, it says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
I said, Jamal, I know what it feels like to be doing so much religious effort and to not know if I'm right with God. And, and I just want you to know that in Christ, I have been made right with God, not because of my works, but because of his work on the cross. And that's as far as we got. He had to go back home. He had things to do. And I hope that's the first of many great spiritual conversations. I learned about his faith. He learned about mine. Um, but there is a difference. There's a big difference. And we believe, according to the Bible, that works are a dead end. We can exhaust ourselves with religious effort. And at the end of that, not even know if we're going to heaven. But jot this down. Grace is a free gift. Grace is a free gift. It says here, uh, so at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And let me ask you this question to close out. Are you trying to earn enough spiritual credit with God to be worthy of heaven? Do you realize that's a dead end? Or have you admitted that you are morally bankrupt? That your best deeds are filthy in God's sight? That you have no credit in God's accounting? And that there's a great deficit. I, I told Jamal because he was an accountant. I said, Jamal, when our Bible talks about how we get to heaven, it says we get an inheritance. We, we get something that isn't ours by merit, but it's something that's ours by relationship. It's because we have a relationship with God that we inherit eternal life. Hey, are you banking on the reality that you can inherit a fortune in heaven? eternal life in Christ, and inheritance is handed to you? Or are you still trying to work and earn it and work and deserve it? Listen, I love what the old hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment in Jesus his transport received. Look, you might feel like the vilest offender, but in Christ you can receive the inheritance of eternal life because it's free. It's free. It's a free gift. I want to give you the chance to reach out and take hold of that free gift in Christ today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I know that there are some here today who have been nervously exhausting themselves all their lives, trying to do enough, trying to do enough, trying to be enough, trying to overcome and compensate for the bad they've done, and it's not working. It's not working. They're, they're worn out and exhausted. And Lord, I just pray that there would be some who would repent of that path of works right now and say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Forgive me for trying to reach you by effort. Forgive me for trying to reach you by self-achievement. Here and now, I receive the free gift of eternal life. Here and now, I abandon my own efforts to make myself righteous. And I receive what Jesus Christ alone can give me, the righteousness of God, a perfect record in God's sight to be declared not guilty in God's court of law. Right now I receive that. Father, I pray that people would realize here, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, but it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Help us, Lord, to understand that we are simply we are simply people who have received something we could never earn or deserve. And may that fill us with tremendous gratitude now and forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.